0: Well, what an awesome morning we're already having in church, and it's good to be uh, here. It's warming up outside. Thanks for coming on a long weekend. I know stacks of people are braving it out uh, camping in the cold, but it's good to be in the house of God, yeah? Amen. Uh, Let's pray before we uh, get into it, because I know that nothing actually happens unless the Holy Spirit does his work. And so I just want to encourage you this morning just to take a moment, just like Pete's encouraged us. But just as I pray, just begin to position your heart that the Holy Spirit would move in the way that only he can. So Father, we just thank you for your presence. Lord, you're a good father. You're good and you're kind and you're faithful and Father, we just bring our hearts today and we deliberately position them to hear from you. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Your presence is honoured here. You are the honoured guest. It's our privilege to be in your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, It is the second week of Salt and Light Under Pressure, and um, sorry if everyone was, Jack was confused. He said, but didn't we start last week? And because I was in Nashville, I didn't actually get to uh, make a graphic last week, so this is a late graphic. So it's the series, Jack. Where is he? There you go. Is that explained at all? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, second week of Salt and Light Under Pressure, and... I just want to share um, a little story of uh, what happened last week. As some of you would know, myself, Luke and Joel were actually in Nashville last week uh, for nine days. And uh, it was a really exciting time. And it's got to do with um, a project that we've been working on, which is called Verses. And it's something God put in Luke's heart about three years ago. to put uh, scripture verses back into song that young people would be able to hear the word of God in good quality music and learn his scripture. And so that's been really exciting. But one of the things, I just want to share a quick story that happened on the way to Nashville. And before I left, I I went and got some prayer with a great friend and mentor of mine, and she just spoke over me. That as we go, we're going to bless people, as and and which is that seems generic, but uh, it really meant something to me because on a trip like that, you kind of go with the mindset of oh, what's going to happen for us? What's what's about to happen? I don't know that kind of thing. But we went with that uh, mindset that we're going to bless people as well, and so we got to. uh, uh, Most of you would know about my antics of flying and. Uh, we braved the 12 and a half hour trip to LA and I did all right. I'm just letting you know. I did okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jolly. <laughs> and uh, we got off um, at LAX and we had about, I don't know, a four hour layover and I was kind of moody by that time. Uh, I was cranky at Luke because we were having breakfast and he was reading the sport and that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, we got to our gate at LAX and Luke had his headphones on and was minding all our gear and Joel and I were just sitting together and I saw across the room these Salvation Army officers. I could tell because they had the uniform on. And um, it's good. It works like that. I think that's great. Anyway, and I saw across the room and something in my spirit just said, you need to talk to them. And so I said to Joel, I'm going to go talk to them. And he looks over his shoulder he's like, you're right, huh? And uh, we just waited for them to sit down and um, I was just watching them across the room waiting for them to settle down. And the moment they settled down, I was up because I'd, I'd lose my nerve otherwise. And I went straight over and I'm like, hello, I'm Chess." And they're like, okay, okay hi. And uh, I just started chatting with them and, and um, that's an awkward situation that let's be real that's not normal that you just go over and chat to people but the Holy Spirit had led me to do that and we got chatting and I just said to them um, so you're obviously officers where's your core? where's your church and they said oh we're actually about to get on a flight to Japan and start a church in Tokyo. I said Right now, like this isn't like a scout out, come back. They're like, no, no, no. We've just said goodbye to eight grandchildren, three children. We've left New York where we've been for 36 years and we're on our way to start a church in a place we don't know the language and we know nobody. And I could just tell their hearts were so heavy. And their hearts were so... They were just carrying that weight of saying goodbye to everything they'd known and all the people that they loved and indefinitely going to Tokyo and we got to share back and forth about what we were doing with verses and and I just said hey would you mind if I prayed with you and uh, they said absolutely and so while Luke was minding our stuff I went and grabbed Jolie and in the middle of LAX we all stood up and they allowed us to lay hands on them and just pray for them and bless them and send them with a covering of from these strangers but so well known because Christ was all in in all of us and uh, and we just prayed for them and we said amen and we looked at uh, we opened our eyes and this guy had just tears in his eyes and he said you know what I saw you in security and I knew you're a Christian I said, okay great and he goes and my wife and I just sat down and we were saying Lord will anyone come and pray with us will anyone come and um and with tears rolling down his face and we're hugging and stuff and Joel just looks at him and goes God's good and he looks straight back and with the heaviness of his heart just said yeah he is he's good and as much as we would have been a light in that situation to them, they shone it right back to us that even in the the heaviest of times that their witness was God was good and I share that story this morning, not because of, i don 't know I just share it because one testimony brings faith and it encourages the saints and the church, and two. That in a series called Salt and Light Under Pressure, I don't feel like it's so much that you need to wait for a drastic situation to be salt and light. I just think it means that you allow Jesus to use you even when you've got stuff going on. And I could have allowed my temperament of flying and my annoyance of layovers and just being grumpy or something like that to overrule what the Holy Spirit was calling me to do And, but I just want to encourage you church to open up your heart and open up your life to allow the Holy Spirit to use you like that. And that wasn't the only time that God used us in that situation like that in Nashville where we thought we were there for us, but we got to just lay hands on people and pray for people and bless people at God divine moments because we allowed him to use us even when we had stuff going on. And if you're a Christian today, that's your mission. That's your mission to be salt and light. It, is, it doesn't change because of your circumstances. It doesn't change because your situation changes. Your mission remains the same in the face of changing circumstances. You are here to shine. Before Christ, you could have had a whole heap of missions, but after Christ, your single mission is to be salt and light and to serve a dying generation that they'd know Jesus Christ. That's your mission now. And uh, in Galatians, we see Paul speak about, in Galatians 2.20-21, 20 to 21, he says this, I identified myself completely with him. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. I love this. My ego is no longer central. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is, it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back on that. And that's what salt and light under pressure looks like. That we would constantly remain under that awareness and that fixed uh, mission that we are no longer our own. We're no longer our own church. If you don't know Jesus today, I pray that by the end of this, you will, and you will no longer be your own. Doesn't that sound exciting? Anyway, but uh, that's our mission. And uh, we now become agents of Christ in the earth. We're here to complete his mission. And his mission in John 16, 33, he says this, I've told you these things, wrong verse, Matthew, Where's Matthew? We got a Matthew verse. Anyway, Matthew sixteen. He says, "I have not come to serve; I've not come to be served, but to serve. If any of you wants to be great, you must become a slave to all." And that's that's what we need to identify ourselves with as well. That if we want to be great and if we want to shine the way that we talk about shining, we need to learn to become a servant of love, a slave of love to all, that we would shine Jesus Christ. And uh, I think one of the key things to be able to shine, to be salty, to bring out these God colours, these God flavours is this, that the mission maintains the same in the face of changing circumstances, your mission doesn't change just because the terrain does. You are always called to be Christ-like. You are always called to carry his love and light into an earth that needs his salvation. And I think one of the uh, the greatest um, guys who demonstrates this in the Old Testament, because in this series we're focusing on different Old Testament characters, is Joseph. Man, we did a series on him a little while back, a couple of years back now, and I think it's one, been one of my favourite series that we've ever done. And I'm going to speak a little bit about him this morning, but I just want to bring one simple thought, and it's a thought that the Lord woke me up with at about 3am earlier in the week. And I quickly opened my phone and wrote it down and, and just thought, okay. And then went back to sleep, and, but the, the Lord's been pressing this on me, to, so I feel like this is what he needs me to share. And it was simply this, entitlement stifles enlightenment, entitlement stifles enlightenment. I don't mean like the French Revolution enlightenment or anything like that. I mean the Ephesians 1.18 kind of enlightenment. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And as I, just, I explored that a little through prayer this week, I think it became more clear what the Lord was trying to tell me. Because we live in a culture that is uh, drenched in entitlement. Gosh, any high school teacher in here would go, yes. Um, and we just, you look at the advertising, you deserve this. You know what? You owe yourself a holiday. You deserve this car. You ought to do this. You, we just live in this entitlement kind of culture and we're encouraged to not just fit into our culture so mindlessly that we just go along. And as Christians, our only difference to humanity or the culture that we're in should not just be that we have a different destination for eternity. We should look different. And entitlement doesn't fit with Christianity. I'm not talking about, uh, we are called to walk in victory because we're Christians But that entitlement attitude of, well, why I? I should have this. I don't need to do that. That's not my job. Why do I have to do? That doesn't fit with Christianity. And it stifles the opportunity to shine your light on Jesus. Because when you're going, I, 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 I all the time, it stops us from going him, 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 him. You know, you never see Jesus with this entitlement attitude. It would be hilarious if we did. Um, it would be, I was trying to imagine it this week, uh, how absurd Jesus would look with an entitled attitude. Could you imagine his first miracle? Mary goes, ah, Jesus, we've run out of wine at the wedding. Mom, no. No, mom. It's not my job. I, it's not my fault that they catered wrong. No. Could you imagine how absurd Jesus would have seemed? He's like, no, no, not my job. I'm a guest at the wedding. That I'm entitled to sit here and enjoy the wine that they've already got. Or, or could you imagine how absurd he would seem with entitlement? Is John? Did you bring the aquarium A leper touched me again. I, I like. I have twelve of you. No one should touch me. I know. I got a mission. I'll save the world. But I'm not dealing with this garbage. Imagine Jesus with an entitled attitude. Uh, I know I have to go up and die for the sins of the world, but I'm not carrying that cross. Someone else can do that. But no. This, it would just seem absurd. Because that's not the Jesus that we know. We know a Jesus who came to serve. In Isaiah 53, he's called the suffering servant. Suffering servant. He came with such an attitude to serve humanity that he didn't even regard his own wishes. He continued to love and he continued to serve. And as absurd as entitlement seems on Jesus, it's absurd on Christians as well. I don't need to do that job. That's not my role. Somebody else's job. I shouldn't have to put up with this. Why am I dealing with this person again? Why am I praying for this person? I don't. Why am I mopping again? Entitlement just does not sit well on Christians because it's not in our character of the one that we're meant to be representing. And uh, Joseph was a guy who, if. Uh, If anyone could have been entitled to a bit of, I don't know, well look at me now kind of entitlement, it would have been Joseph. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, it's an incredible story. I'll give you the highlights. Uh, He was the 11th brother of 12 brothers of Jacob. And this guy, Joseph, had a dream. And in the dream... you know what, he was going to be great and the brothers weren't. So it kind of ticked off his older brothers. And he kept, he kept having these dreams and they were so annoyed at him that when he came to visit one day where they were shepherding, they like, they made a plan that they would kill him. Luckily, one of his older brothers is like, no, you can't kill him. Let's just chuck him in a pit. And so they chucked him in this pit and they took the beautiful coat that his dad had given him and, and they, they poured animal blood on it and said, that, said to their father he'd been killed but really they sold him off to be a slave. I would think at that stage I would feel a bit entitled to be angry at my family. Well, they shouldn't have... I don't deserve this. Why am I in this pit? Not Joseph. He maintains the mission in the face of changing circumstance. And so he's sold off into slavery in Egypt. And he finds himself in a place, in in a house of the man named Potiphar. And because his mission maintained the same, to be faithful to God... He rose in the ranks in the house and because he was such a faithful servant, God blessed him and he got whole rule of the house. And he maintained to be a faithful witness of, of the faithfulness of Yahweh. And one day Potiphar's wife, she was, I don't know, desperate housewife or something like that, tried to make a move at Joseph and he had, because he's maintaining his mission, he didn't change because of the changing circumstances. Uh, she got annoyed and, and wrongly accused him of sexual assault. And because of that wrongly accusation, he was landed himself in jail. At that stage, I would feel that I could be a little bit entitled to be angry at Potiphar's wife, not Joseph. Even in the prison, he is ministering to people. He is ministering. He's, inter- he's using the gifts that God has given him. In the middle of the prison, he's interpreting dreams and encouraging people. And the way that he speaks to the, to the guards and, and the regard that they have for him, he maintains the mission to shine a light even though he's in a dark place. And because of this, because of him using his God given gifts, one day Pharaoh had a dream that nobody in all the land could interpret. But, but one of the guys in jail remembered how Joseph could interpret dreams. And so straight out of the prison into the palace, here he stands before Pharaoh and he, he goes, you know what, I could tell you the interpretation of this dream. And I love that in, uh, in Genesis 41, Joseph says this, it's not I... But God, God will set Pharaoh's mind at ease. I love that in the very opportunity where he could have shone the light on him, he's like, you know what, I'm a bit entitled to a bit of glory. It was me in the prison who interpreted those dreams, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, I deserve a bit. No, he he shuts that down. He doesn't allow entitlement to stop shining the light on God. He goes, you know what, God's going to use me, but it's all God. It's all God who's, who's going to do this. He will bring your peace of mind. And he interprets the dream about the seven good years and the seven years of famine. And he says to Pharaoh about the dream and is like, we're going to need someone to rule in this time. And then he looks at Joseph in Genesis forty-one thirty-eight, And he says, then Pharaoh said to his officials, isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has a God, has God's spirit in him like this? That's what happens when you maintain your mission in dark places. People look at you and say, is any does anyone else have the spirit of God like this person? I have never seen someone say so faithful in the face of trials like this person. That person shines. I can look at that person because, and know that God is true because I have seen their tested faith. They are shining God, not them, but God. And it placed him in a, in a position of, of leadership in, in Egypt. And so for the seven years of, of plenty, there's seven years of plenty, Joseph listens to God in the plenty and, and obeys what God has said. And his obedience in the plenty made way for provision in the famine. Because he obeyed the plan of God when there was nothing really to worry about. He could have just enjoyed being in the palace. How great is this? But he lived his life maintaining the mission. No matter the circumstance, whether it was good in the palace or bad in the prison, he maintained that God was the one that he followed. He was his king. And because of his obedience in plenty, he had provision in the famine. And so it comes to the second year of the famine and and Egypt's fine because because Joseph obeyed what the Lord said. They had storehouses of food and grain and they were ready to ration out to the people the food that they needed. And it came the second year of famine and uh, lo and behold, here come these ten men. Now, would anyone else kind of think? <laughs> uh, I knew, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come crawling back. Here's his ten brothers who told his father he was dead, threw him in a pit, and wanted nothing to do with him. And there they are, grovelling at his feet for rations of food. How, how honestly, how many of us would think? Yeah, I, I knew this would happen. I told you. Ah, oh, now I get my revenge. It, entitlement, absolutely. That would have been the perfect time to be entitled. But not Joseph. He knew it was never about him. It was always about the Lord. And so this goes back and forth and the brothers come and, the, and there's a great story that we don't have time to go into. We've done a series, you can watch it. But it comes to chapter 45 in Genesis. And Joseph can no longer contain himself. He can no longer keep it in because at that time he was going by by his Egyptian name. His brothers had no idea that it was Joseph. Joseph. How could they? It's been over 20 years since they saw that young boy that they threw into a pit. And here he is dressed as an Egyptian with an Egyptian name sitting on a throne ruling Egypt. How could they have known? But he requests a private, uh, a private time with them and he, and he sends all his guards out. So it's just him and these 11 boys, men, <laughs> And he just got, he says, it's me, Joseph. And at that point, I'll read it. It says Genesis 45 to 5, five to 8 and says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry for selling, selling me here. He says, it's me, it's Joseph, your brother. And of course, at that point, they could have been freaking out. He, he, his dream came true. He, we, we were going to bow down to him. He was going to be great, and here we are. He's going to kill us for sure. And he says, "No, no, no! Come close." And he he wept so loudly that his guards outside could hear. He was weeping. He says, "It's me, Joseph, your brother. Come close. Don't be distressed." And he says this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You know what? Too many, too many of us blame other people for our bad things that happen in our lives without looking to see what God's going to do. Don't blame yourself. God sent me ahead of you that I could save you. This was the guy they wanted dead. Dead. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Imagine getting to that stage where you trust the nature of God so much that you give up on blaming other people for the position you're in and you just maintain the mission despite the circumstance. Our entitled spirit will stifle our opportunity to shine Jesus. And some of us here today need to stop blaming people for the situations we're in and start looking for a way to glorify God. He may be sending you ahead to provide life for people who need it later. We need to stop taking up places in our heart and our mind with bitterness, unforgiveness and offence because it's taking the place of praise. Your bitterness Unforgiveness and offence and blame and entitlement takes the place of praise in the heart for Jesus Christ. Joseph said time and time again, but God has delivered me. God has sent me. And at that stage, he didn't identify himself with his Egyptian name. He identified himself with his Hebrew name, which was Joseph, which means Yahweh provides. He knew it wasn't him who was providing for them. And it wasn't just his brothers he was providing for. He was providing for the whole people of Israel. That the, that the line that Jesus would come from would remain in the land. He was sent ahead because Yahweh provides. And when you give up this entitled spirit of, I don't need to do that. Why am I doing this? Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. I just want to sorry. I just want to thank you. And rather you go, God, what need are you meeting through me today? He gave up having his needs met, of I just want to thank you. Or a sorry would be nice. And he allowed Jesus to to not just meet his needs, because he was whole in Yahweh and Jesus. But he allowed God to meet the needs of others through him Because he gave up the right for I and he decided to shine. Entitlement will only stifle your ability to enlighten people to Jesus. It takes away opportunities for God to work through you. If you're always talking about your problems, everyone knows every detail about your problem. They don't hear any of your praise. God isn't praised when you glorify your problems. He's praised when you glorify Him despite your problems. And and a light that sits in a dark place and says, you know what, I'm not going to shine because nobody else is shining, that is absurd. Lights are placed in dark places to shine. You don't need a light in a sunny room. You need it in a dark place. And and Graham said it last week, the world watches Christians when they go through trials to see whether their light shines or whether it was all just kind of talk. You can trust the nature of God. You can trust that he's good. You can trust that he's faithful. You know what he said? He, He didn't say that there wouldn't be storms. He said you'd have peace in the storm. And he didn't say, just because I'm in your boat, you won't see waves. But I won't leave you alone in the boat. It says in Micah, he says, you know what? When the Assyrians invade, he will sustain us. Not if, but when. When the enemy comes against us, he will sustain us. I think of the Good Samaritan. Two guys, entitled guys, missed out on the opportunity to shine. And now we talk about the good Samaritan all the time. Good on you, Samaritan. Out of anyone, he had the opportunity to be entitled. It's not my job. We're not allowed to talk. Not my business. Why should I have to look after you? Why should I have to pay my money? And two guys missed out on being the conduit of God's grace because they had other things to do. Church, your mission maintains, remains the same. No matter your dream, your family situation, your relationship status, your job, it always maintains the same. You are to shine Jesus Christ into a dark world that they may know him as salvation. That's your job, your single job There's a really well-known Bible verse. Verses actually has a song about it. You can get it for free on iTunes. Oh, no, you have to pay on there. Don't do that. Um, But Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great verse, huh? Great verse. I love the passage before it, where Paul says this, Philippians four eleven to 13. For I have learned to be content, this is the amplified version, and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy. I am satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times, and I also, now, I also know how to enjoy the abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need, I can do all things which he has called me to do. Not the ones that you go off and just do on your own. Let's be clear. We have a mission here. We don't have time to pander off on all different. Look over there. We have a mission, church. The ones he's called me to do through him who strengthens me and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know how he understood how to do that in 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 need and in plenty, in sickness, and in health, in troubles, and in good times? Because God taught him in the time that he was there. You don't learn how to be sufficient in need unless you've gone through a time of need. You don't don't learn how to be content in in the face of trials unless you've gone through trials. And we don't have a God who, who is completely indifferent from this. We have a God who understands suffering. It says we have a high priest who understands our pain. God, no, God, the creator of the universe, understands pain. Oh, the pain to turn away as his son is crucified. To, to be separate from his son, that all darkness was taken on, all sin was taken on by him. He, we have a God who understands suffering. And can, he can be compassionate with us in that. But we were not promised everything would be peaceful. We were promised peace. Psalm 119, 71 to 72 says, my troubles turned out for the best. Does anyone have any troubles that have turned out for the best? Amen? They forced me to learn from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, we can rejoice when we run into problems. They help us learn to be patient. I hate being patient. And patient develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and ready. God uses tested faith to advance the kingdom. He needs us strong and ready. Look Look at the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get patient by getting things quick. You learn patience. You learn joy. Church, we will go through trials and we'll be under pressure. But we need to maintain our mission in the face of changing circumstances. We need to give up the entitlement, make way for the eyes and hearts of those around us to be enlightened to Jesus Christ. By shining a light in dark places, Through the power of Jesus, people will come to know him as their saviour. When you shine a light on you, they just get to know you. And we can't save anyone. Our mission is to deliver Jesus to a dying world. We need to be faithful in that church, despite the trials. And I know there's suffering that hurts so bad, but you can trust the nature of God. He is good. He will see you through. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is faithful. He is good and kind. And you can trust him. Amen. I'm just going to invite the band to come. And I just, same kind of thing that Pete was talking about. You know what, if there's been times in your life where you know you're shining the light on you or you're taking up room that God needs with praise, with bitterness and blame, unforgiveness, offense. Speak to Jesus yourself. You go to Jesus. He has made a way that you can speak straight to him and just use this time. Ask for forgiveness and direction and that his peace would guide you in the right way. Amen.